Good morning, noon or night, wherever and whenever you are listening, you are listening to The Shift. I'm your host. My name is Doug McKinty. Find out more about the show at The Shift with Doug McKinty on Facebook and YouTube, at McKinty on Twitter, or check out the website at www.theshiftnow.com. My guest on the show today is Alex Sakiris, host of the popular podcast Skeptico. I wanted to have Alex on the show to have a deep conversation about the concept of scientism, a term that describes the popular beliefs about what science has discovered as compared to the reality of what science has actually discovered. In the age of the internet, we are constantly bombarded with misinformation that often uses science as a pretext for establishing absolute proof. Blog posts and YouTube videos all proclaim that their belief must be true because science says it's true. This propensity is also characteristic of the mainstream media. Transnational pharmaceutical companies give billions of dollars in advertising funding to corporate news outlets which tell us over and over that corporate and government agencies are the arbiters of truth through science. Many are convinced that science has proven without a doubt that public policy implemented through public-private partnerships is the correct cause of action based on the most up-to-date scientific discoveries. From shelter-in-place orders to the theory of evolution, the general public has been indoctrinated with a belief system that, it is claimed, has been proven by science. But is this belief system really just scientism? In the final analysis, what does science really say? For the last 13 years, Alex Sakaris has put many of these commonly held scientific beliefs to the test. How has he done this? Well, by using science. His podcast features interviews from top scientists and thought leaders from around the world to show that what science has actually discovered is quite different from what most typically believe. Over time, his journey has led him to believe that the materialistic reductionist paradigm, an atheistic philosophy that removes the effects of consciousness from reality and is a foundational tenet of this commonly held belief system, has been thoroughly and completely debunked by science itself. By covering such topics as near-death experiences and remote viewing, Alex and his guests reveal time and again that the data does not lie. There is, in fact, a consciousness separate from our biology that affects and influences our relationship with reality. To use his phrase, we are not just biological robots in a meaningless universe, but are creatures imbued with a consciousness that extends far beyond our physical boundaries. I highly recommend checking out the many interviews Alex has produced at Skeptico.com if you haven't already. If you spend some time listening to those conversations, you may find out that what many people call science is not actually what it seems on the surface. As a caveat to this episode, Alex and I go deep into a discussion of scientism as a type of mythology and make reference to the works of Joe Atwill. I want to urge listeners to click on the links in the show notes below that include episodes of The Shift and Skeptico featuring Joe in order to provide some context for where Alex and I go with this concept. Without further ado, I would like to welcome Alex Sakaris to the show and thank him for helping to make the shift. All right, everybody. Uh, welcome to the show. I've got Alex Sakaris here from the Skeptico podcast. Really excited about this conversation today. Um, I think this is the first time I've ever interviewed a fellow podcaster, so it's going to be kind of an interesting, I think, back and forth between the two of us. Um, he's also got this book coming out. Uh, why Evil Matters, Science and Religion, fumbled a big one. Uh, and I'd like to have him on the show. I really wanted to talk about scientism. As uh, my audience may know, I've been doing a number of interviews on Agenda 21 and technocracy. And we've got this whole COVID thing happening, of course. So scientism is starting to become a really big issue for me. And I wanted, I wanted to delve deep into it. And I couldn't think of a better person 
than Alex to have this discussion with because his program uh, really goes into science and what it is and what it is showing. And in fact, uh, where it disagrees a lot with what I would call scientism. So Alex, why don't we just kick it off with you giving a description of your show, your program, uh, maybe a little bit about why you're interested in this concept of evil, evil and you're putting this book out here in the next couple of months, I know. Uh, and we'll just go from there. Well, yeah, Doug, it's been really interesting having this email exchange with you because just the latest one that you sent me today really hit a lot of the skeptico buttons for me, right. particularly with the way you're connecting scientism and this idea that gets hammered into us that consciousness doesn't really exist. It's just a social construct. And what we really are, are just, of course, as you've always learned in school, you're just a biological robot. And the right. universe, of course, is meaningless. Ultimately, it's just a social construct of love and all the rest of that. So that's been kind of my pursuit. And then it's interesting how that's kind of merged with where you're always almost coming at it from a different angle, but coming to the same conclusion, which is how can this idea be perpetuated that, you know, we we're not, we don't live meaningful lives and we don't, as the cat walks through there. Right. Um, nice. And that, you know, that fundamentally that consciousness, your minute by minute experience of who you are, isn't in any way real, isn't, mm -hmm. is an illusion. Is your brain just creating that illusion? That is such an absurd idea. And it connects with what we've been kind of discussing in this email exchange. When you really deconstruct it, it starts looking like a cult kind of thing. It's like something that gets passed along in a cult where people are just repeating it without really thinking about it. Right. I've totally deconstructed that in my first book, Why Science is Wrong About Almost Everything, but in particular in this second book. And it's not just me saying it. I have, you know... Uh, Dr. Bernardo Castrup, PhD in philosophy, PhD in computer science, brilliant guy, all about consciousness, just laughing at Neil deGrasse Tyson for saying, he says, it's the most preposterous thing I've ever, I've ever heard. Caltech physicist um, uh, Donald Hoffman talking it in slightly nicer terms to be polite with his colleagues, but saying it's just a ridiculous idea. It never at any time in culture, mm -hmm. in, in our history that we know of. Can we point to a culture that said, you are a biological robot and a meaningless universe kind of thing? Right. I mean, think about it. Every culture you ever know, they believe in God, for lack of a better term, or they believe in something more. They certainly believe that your conscious experience is real and probably extends beyond your body, beyond your brain. So I think you've hit on an absolute central, central point, and where you took it that I thought was really, really interesting because it's so new for me, but it mm -hmm. is syncing up with what I'm hearing, is that it's really about control and the connection between control and free will and consciousness and uh, the impediments thereof is really what is evil, is yeah. what, what is the definition of what is evil. And again, I say that not from a 
I say that as, as close to a kind of pre-scientific, you know, if we listen to everyone and we really try to analyze it, not get all emotional about it, particularly. So anyways, I, I went out for a while there, but, but you get the idea. Yeah, I mean, um, God, there's so much that we're going to talk about. Let's give people just a little bit more of a background about the concept behind Skeptico. And I think you've been you've been doing this since 2007. Is that right? You've been doing this for quite Don't a while. Don't remind me, man. Don't <laughs> remind me. What the hell am I doing? No, well, I'm just I'm actually, setting you up because you're the expert here, right? <laughs> I feel uh, I, I feel like it's been time super super well spent. You know, mm -hmm. I have my background is basically as a entrepreneur. I was a guy who just wanted to make money. And I made money. I made a bunch of money, sold my company, retired, got on to, you know, the most important things in life. Who am I? Why am I here? Which is, I thought, what everyone was going to do, you know, once you make enough money where you don't have to worry about it anymore, then you pursue. Right. No, that's not the way it works. So that's not what most people do. So I've got them out there. So I started this podcast a long time ago to answer these fundamental questions. Uh, talk to, been fortunate enough to talk to so many of the world's just top authorities on consciousness, parapsychology, near-death experience, out-of-body experience, all that kind of stuff. Wrote that first book and writing the second book. But, you know, it's all just a, a, a ruse, if you will, because I just wanted to talk to smart people. So the way you can't call up, you know, Rupert Sheldrick and Dean Radin and uh, Jeff Long or Donald Hoffman and say, hey, buddy, what's up? But if you have a podcast and you have their book out there, you know, yep. you can you can do that. So that is my uh, that is my purpose. There's no ads, no firewall, no anything. And the shows are just up there and millions of downloads and fortunate, fortunate that people I, I've met people who are interested in the same things that I am and don't mind chatting with me about it. And yeah. that's fulfills all my needs there. <laughs> I know it's it's fun. I really enjoy doing it too. It's almost uh, amazing that you can read a book that you like or find a concept that you like, and then and then you know call up the expert and say, "Hey, do you want to be on my show?" And the next Completely. thing you know, you're actually talking with a person who's a lot more you know intelligent than you are and a lot more well versed on the subject, and uh, so you really get a lot out of it. Especially once you've been doing it for a while, as you have, I mean, you really can can start to construct a, a worldview. You know a lot. Well, you know a little bit about a lot of things, and and it helps you to to construct a worldview over time. That, um, it, in I think you know, I think I know a lot about a few things. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think I'm not just saying that about me. So many podcasters, and I've talked to so many of them. They're they're just a wealth of information because you know you look at, right. at, at your shows, and I've really really uh, appreciated. It. I didn't even know your shows were out there, and few weeks ago you you connected with me love your show Thanks. love your show subscribe really to it. it well yeah. worth it it's great stuff and and i'm on you know i'm gonna sit on the edge of my seat for the next one so but here's my point doug is i know what you're doing in order to do a show like that you're preparing you're reading that person's books. You're listening to their other interviews. You're comparing it, contrasting with other interviews you've done. You're assimilating it all, and then you're constructing it logically in your head in order to do right. the kind of effective interviews you do. Hell, man, that is that is high-level work. Uh, I find podcasters in, in at, at the highest level. I mean, there's some people who are not, obviously, but there always is. 
much more well-versed a lot of times than the people who are writing these books. And that's no slight. It's just, it's just, if you understand the process, right? If you're writing a book, a lot of times you're super focused, you know, but you become too focused. So when someone comes along and says, yeah, you know, I understand you understand after death communication, but what you're saying doesn't totally sync up with what the latest near death experience researchers are, are finding. Did you hear the latest interview that, Pin Von Lommel gave, for example, and they're like, no, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> so it's like, it is at that point, you are further along than that person. They haven't, they haven't assimilated in the latest information. And you have, Doug, because you are podcasting on this stuff and you're forcing yourself to stay up to date on it. So yeah, yeah no, it's an interesting, it's, uh, I'm just, that's, that's how I view it. There's no two ways about it. Well, it's, and the thing that, um, this is kind of interesting because let's talk about this, like the, the podcast format, the podcast format that we're discussing here is a, is a logical process. Um, and I, it, so it's almost like, and I do write, like I'll write an outline. It's almost as if I'm writing an essay and we almost never follow the outline. That's what actually one of the most interesting things about it for me is that we're, it, it, we're participating in a dialogue. So the dialogue could go anywhere, <laughs> but nonetheless, we're still, uh, processing, I, I like to think, you know, rationally, and there is a, a you know, um, this process that we're going through of trying to figure figure out what's going on uh, while we're interviewing all these different people and assimilating it into a, into a larger worldview. Um, and the reason why I want to bring this up is because with your show, Skeptico in particular, it's like when you talk about science, you haven't thrown the baby out with the bathwater. You're using science to disprove what I would call scientism, which is almost a mythology that the average person seems to have. They get it from corporate media or the public education system or wherever. And I'm sure we could talk about that for a, a long time as well. But they have this concept of what science is. And I'm just like, this isn't science. I mean, if you look at science, there's all kinds of different scientists, first of all, that have totally different opinions. So why are we pre pretending like there's only one way to think about science? And, you know, if I, if I'm getting involved, let's just go ahead and bring this up now. I mean, we've got this hydroxychloroquine debate happening. Well, what is the science? Well, Dr. Fauci says this, and, and a whole group of people are going to say, well, you know, hydroxychloroquine is bunk. But now we've got these few scientists over here that are saying, well, I've saved thousands of lives using this stuff. So, you know, let's look at the science behind that. And we're having this whole kind of public debate. But I think that you can use the science in the vaccine debate. I've, I've done interviews on this. There's plenty of science out there that says vaccines are dangerous. I don't know why this certain large group of people can't see that science and only see this, this particular, what I would call the scientismist perspective that only allows for this one particular point of view. And so on your show, you're constantly, I mean, you'll even kind of haggle with the with with your the person that you're talking to and really make them prove their point using their their science or using big data you haven't thrown out the concept of science you actually use science to disprove what a lot of scientists sort of take for granted and certainly a lot of people take for granted is something that science is quote unquote proven and you want to talk to that sure i mean there's a great expression science is a a method it's not a position statement yeah. right so that gets totally lost. Science for a lot of people is a position statement. Oh, I, I believe in science. What, what do you mean you believe in science? You believe in which 
study, (laughs) which peer-reviewed study, as it opposed to what other peer-reviewed study? Who was it reviewed by? You know, there's just an unlimited, you know, the the COVID thing, I don't get into it too much, but I love listening to other people on it. There's an example there. uh, I think an even more kind of poignant example of how corrupt, because the other thing about science that I would interject, so I I agree with you hundred percent, like science is a method. It's not a position statement, right? Mm -hmm. So the process of gathering information, thinking about it logically, testing it, falsifying it, uh, and then continuing, you know, spin recycle, getting together a group of your colleagues who are similarly interested, but also critical in order to judge whether or not your science is up to some standard. This is the process of science. Mm -hmm. That process in many cases, as you're suggesting, has been completely either co-opted, ignored, or intentionally corrupted. One of the things I found interesting, this is a news COVID kind of thing. I want to get her name right here. Dr. Maria Van Kirkhove. Mm -hmm. Kirkhove? I don't know. I don't think a whole lot. I don't put a lot of faith in the World Health Organization. But here's a woman who is the technical lead on the COVID pandemic. And a week or two, she came out and she said what the science, the good science has said for quite some time, which is that if you're asymptomatic, that is, you don't have a a fever and you don't show the signs of COVID-19, then it is very rare that you would pass the COVID virus on to someone else. So again, keep this in mind. This is the technical lead from the World Health Organization making this statement. Now, this completely destroys what's going on now, right? Why would you wear a mask, right? If, if, if you cannot pass COVID-19, except very rarely, then the mask would totally be up to you, right? It'd be like, well, I'm not afraid of getting it, so then I don't have to put it on because I don't have to worry about passing it on to someone else because I'm not symptomatic, right? This completely destroys the narrative. Mm-hmm. So that's the best science. But what happened was she was forced to quote unquote clarify her position and say, well, I, you know, gosh, I don't know. You know, and she did a good job in that she couldn't completely reverse herself and say, gee, the science, the, the, the science is the opposite of what I said, because the science is what she said. But she, you know, had to qualify it and this and that. But just go back and look at her original remark, which was exactly that. And then the science, of course, the science as a position statement gets changed. But rather than go off too far on COVID-19, a far better example for what we're talking about is exactly the point you made in your email to me, is that fundamentally, science as we know it, science as it defines the biggest picture in your life, which is who are you, why are you here, is corrupted in this same way. It's pushing a narrative and an agenda that is completely ridiculous. And that's conspiratorial. Mm -hmm. So everyone looks at this example I just gave and go, well, yeah, there's some kind of conspiracy going on there that I don't know what it is. I mean, COVID is real in some sense, but in some sense, there's something conspiratorial going on. I don't quite understand. What they don't get, what a lot of people don't get is that science fundamentally telling you, you, Doug, are a biological robot and your life is meaningless. Your, your, the love that you share for your family, your wife, your girlfriend, whatever, is 
is fundamentally not real. You know, that is a conspiracy. And what you made in your email to me that I thought was so fantastic is the purpose we can only surmise behind that is to somehow control you. Right. Somehow uh, 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 cause you to not assert your free will, not assert your power to love, connect, feel empowered, to somehow denigrate that. That's the only conclusion I can come to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually saw a meme just on my Facebook feed last week. Maybe it was two weeks ago now, and it was just a meme. And I, it just struck me and it said it was something to the effect that, you know, if materialism means that you don't have free will, then if you believe in materialism, then you're essentially a slave. And it was like, you know, if I was a slave owner and I didn't want to have to, you know, control my slaves and feed them every day and, and keep them in their pens and have the slave master beat them when they did wrong then then what would i do you know well i could teach them all that they're they just live in a materialist world and they don't have a consciousness and they don't have free will and then they all just will do what i say you know without me having to go through the effort of actually containing them and throwing them in prisons and and dealing with it in this fashion and i thought my god this is so true i mean if you really want to believe in this materialistic philosophy then you're you're putting yourself in a position to get taken advantage of basically you have no reason to stand up against these authority figures that quote that that say they've figured out how the materialistic world works you have to listen to the experts i mean this is one of their catchphrases listen to the experts but the experts are only the ones that are at the top of this hierarchical system of science not the independent scientists that maybe are using hydroxychloroquine to cure covid right now or to treat covid patients right now or you know, a lot of these other things. Um, but instead, you, you're listening to the authority figures that work with the corporations and are at the at the top of the government. And they're saying, no, no, you know, this is a materialistic universe. We've shown without a doubt that you've got to use remdesivir to treat COVID. And it's inconsequential that remdesivir costs $3,000 a pop when hydroxychloroquine costs $20 a pop. You know, and 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 then I, exactly what you were talking about—the corruption of the process. So I think it is. This is a, a fundamental aspect that I wish more people would understand about science: is that science is this process. It doesn't discover transcendental truths. It's not that an expert has used science and now knows the truth, and we all need to do what the expert tells us because he's discovered the truth because he's a, a scientist in a, in a position of authority. It's science is a process. Tomorrow, another scientist could find out, hey, this is totally wrong, or even construct a, a new scientific paradigm like an Einstein or a Tesla or something that then the data that we've collected gets looked at within a, a different context and everything's changed. So without this understanding that it's a process, you really are just looking at a philosophy of authoritarian control. And if people want to believe it, and it does give them a belief system that says, if I listen to the authority figure, then I'm always right. I mean, I've, I've had interactions with people that are really like, this is what the, the, the expert scientist is telling me. This is the peer reviewed literature. This is just what I believe. And this is the truth. And if you think otherwise, then you're just wrong. And even if I show other peer-reviewed literature from an opposing point of view, they can't, they won't look at it. The authority figure that they're defining as an expert is saying, no, this is the truth. And if you disagree with this, then you're just wrong. And that is, 
that's very passive aggressive, right? <laughs> to discount another human being's perspective where their free will may make a, a different choice than you in the case of COVID about a healthcare decision that's a private healthcare choice. And these people think that they can tell you what to do because it's the truth. And if you do something different than them, then you're just wrong. It's a, it's a control mechanism. I mean, I see it. I see it every day interacting with people in my community. They want to impose what the, the, the expert scientists, and again, only, only the experts that are in authority positions, not the independent experts that are doing things on their own. Um, and it's, I think it's a tragedy, actually. I mean, it's unfortunate. People are caught in, in some kind of a spell about this and they don't understand what's really going on. Hey, two quick stories about that that I uh, come to mind. One is one of the guys I really respect in the near-death experience science realm, which I think is super important. Again, you know, so my path was, who are we? Why are we here? You know, so, okay, go look at the science. This was way back when I started, you know? So I was talking to parapsychology people like uh, Rupert Sheldrick and Dean Radin because they were strictly scientists, you know, Cambridge, uh, University of Illinois, Bell Labs, you know, very, very scientific, rigorous, peer-reviewed, um, but they were also coming to different conclusions. And I thought, wow, that's cool that they can, again, apply the, the method of science, but they're, they're willing to look someplace else. I wanna know if that was true. That eventually led me more to looking at near-death experience science because it more directly addressed the question that I was interested in regarding consciousness. Because near-death experience science posits the idea that your brain has stopped functioning, functioning in the way we would normally associate with conscious experience. That is undeniable, by the way. People sometimes jump in there and go, well, the brain isn't really dead. Well, by every means we have of measuring it clinically, we would call that brain dead in these cases the, of the near-death experience science, the best ones that are done in hospital. And yet the consciousness seems to persist. So that's just really kind of one of those silly points that people make. But I digress because Here's what excited me about Jeff Long when I talked to him. True scientist, true freaking scientist, and true keeper of this skeptical ethos that I follow, which is inquiry to perpetuate doubt. So if you're not in a constant state of doubt, you're not on my team. And secondly, if you're not, that also means being a little bit unsure. So here's the story. Jeff well, that, tells me. That's very important, Alex, just to interject really quickly. It's really important, I think, that people have some measure of humility. And, and I think real science demands this level of open-mindedness and humility because you have to be open to, to changing your position based on the data and the facts at any given moment. You can't, you know, you, you can't come at it with uh, preconceived notions or you're just going to find what you're looking for. But you're setting up the story perfectly, Doug. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Because Jeff has compiled all this research on near-death experiences, largest database in the world. He's medically reviewed them with a questionnaire that he's given. He's a radiation oncologist in Uma, Louisiana, outside of New Orleans. He knows what he's doing. And unfortunately, he works with dying people all the time. He's a cancer doctor. Mm -hmm. A colleague, I guess, quote-unquote, another, you know, PhD level doctor researcher in Kentucky who happens to be a near-death experience skeptic approaches him and wants to use his data in order to further his research. The guy's name is Nelson, Dr. Nelson. 
forget his first name. Nelson gets his research, finishes it, and publishes it. And Jeff Long looks at it. And he says, Alex, I looked at it and said, oh, shit. Mm. He's right. I'm wrong. His research, Nelson's research, concludes that uh, near-death experience is really a, a REM intrusion problem. You know, REM, rapid eye movement, sleep kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's really related to a REM intrusion problem in the brain. And this is all brain-based. And it can all be explained by the brain. So Jeff Long is looking. He goes, he's right. I'm wrong. And then he starts digging a little bit further. And he goes, wait a minute. He didn't consider this. He didn't conclude that. He didn't look at this. He didn't look at that. He goes, Oh, of course, this is not right. As a matter of fact, it's really, really wrong. And in the years since that's been published, it's been completely falsified as not a workable hypothesis in terms of the REM intrusion. But Mm -hmm. I go back to that moment. That is a scientist. That is someone who's able to risk everything that they've built their reputation on. And this guy has a New York Times bestselling number one book. He's willing to go, hey, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. This is the way to go. If you're not in that space, that you're not playing the science game. You're playing some other game. So that's story number one. And if mm-hmm. you want, though, I want to pivot to story number two. Because when you said the thing about the slaves, we can talk about science all day long. And we both got our points there on what we're saying. And yeah. that is one part of the conspiracy and one part of the way that people are being squeezed and and cattle prodded. But the other is religion, man. The other is religion. Right. And, you know, the story I always think about when it comes to uh, slaves is the story that's told by Frederick Douglass. Remember Frederick Douglass, the famous abolitionist who's always pictured with Abraham Lincoln, because Abraham Lincoln invited him into the White House, and they had all these conversations that Lincoln said, wow, I profited so much from this guy. He's a genius, and his writing is genius. Unbelievable to think that this guy was born into slavery and was a slave for so many years. But Frederick Douglass says, you know, I was a slave to this southern plantation owner, and then he, he was saved. You know, he was, of course, always kind of a nominal Christian, but my slave owner was saved. You know, he was born again. He goes, so I thought, this is going to be great. You know, right. <laughs> we are all going to be treated more yeah. fairly or yeah. at the least, or, you know, maybe even releases. No, no, the opposite. He now found justification for all of his beliefs in this cultish religious thing that he was a part of. And haven't we seen that over and over again? So that's where I think the real squeeze comes from, you know, on one hand, we look at the the religion and I I, want to dive into that because we both have this appreciation for uh, Joseph Atwell and some of the work he's done. Reservations about some of the conclusions, but there is no doubt in my mind that if we don't understand religion, particularly Christianity, so it's, since it's so dominant in our culture, as primarily a cultish uh, mechanism for which to kind of portray and propagate a control mechanism, if we're not able to consider that, then we're just going to be lost. And mm-hmm. and I say that. Let me let me interject because that always just completely throws people off. 
if somebody hit, this is my opinion based on the research that I've done. Right. If someone has an experience with Jesus, you know, like a dream or uh, just a prayer, they're praying in church and they feel Jesus, you know, that coming through them. Everything, uh, or if they have a near-death experience and they experience Jesus, which I've talked to so many people, everything I've learned suggests that that is real in some way that we don't completely understand, but that it is in fact real. It's the opposite of biological robot meaningless universe. It's that, yes, there is this kind of extended consciousness beyond our body, and we can in some way connect with it. So if someone has that connection with Jesus in that way, Everything I've learned would suggest that that is the highest order of this divine connection of love and spirit that one could have. That's just my read of the research, right? Mm -hmm. But it, it is also my read of the research, two things. One is that if you therefore think <laughs> that connection or some message that you got as part of that connection has allowed you to understand the mind of God <laughs> in a way that is different, you know, is, is unique and is really true and is fundamental, then I would suggest that my research kind of indicates that you need to check yourself, bro, and you need to go look at all the different cultures in the world that have had similar kind of connections. And you need to look at even the current research where there's contradictions between people who have the same kind of near-death experiences that embody all that love and connection with a God-like higher spirit. So there's a lot of that research out there. And it doesn't all conform to a Christian narrative, which should give any person who has that Jesus experience pause. Not to say that their experience isn't real. The opposite of that. Their experience is most real, most fundamental. but they might have gotten mixed up in this other stuff that, you know, to me, let's talk history. You know, let's talk history because it sure looks like a cult to me. Maybe I'm wrong, but when yeah. I look at the history, that's what it looks like to me. I have an interesting, like, because I think that, the, you know, a lot of times and your conversation recently with Gordon White who, and then Gordon, if people aren't familiar with him, he does the podcast Rune Soup. And he's, you know, this uh, New Zealander that, you know, uh, that practices basically a European-based magic. And this idea of magic would have just blown my mind. I mean, as, as few, just a few years ago, when I first got introduced to Gordon, I was like, who is this guy, you know? And then I start and what I appreciated about your conversation with him, actually, Alex, was your complete open-mindedness to his position, despite the fact that your whole show is based on facts and data and science and, and all of this. So, um, But you guys were able to have this excellent conversation, and you're completely open-minded to it, which I, and, and we've already discussed this, um, you know, I think the more that you actually participate in this process of science, the more open-minded to ideas of magic or the extended realm, or even the dark forces that may exist in the extended realm. I will say that like in the Native American tradition, they absolutely believe that there are spirits in, in these extended realms that they can communicate with. Some are malevolent, and you want to avoid those if you're in a good way, again, but and some are benevolent, and you can learn a lot from these guys because they exist in this fourth dimensional or fifth dimensional space, and they have a you know, a broader view. And if you can cultivate yourself to a place where you can communicate as, as shamans 
say that they do, uh, then, you know, you learn a lot and you can take information from the extended realm. And I mean, that's basically what shamans do for their tribe is they, a person has a problem. The shaman asks the question to the spirits and then gives the answer to the person. And hopefully it helps them with their problem. Um, so this is a whole fascinating conversation about how deep does it go? How, where are these extended realms? If you're looking at these other cultures, they're going to say it goes all the way. I mean, there's demons and spirits and we talk to them and this is how it works. And then you look at these satanic cults, like you're talking about, and you see these guys, I mean, the Illuminati or whatever it is that people say, maybe at the top of this, maybe it's at the top of the system of scientism. Maybe they're communicating with these, you know, these malevolent spirits that are teaching them how to set up this, you know, banking system where they can skim off the top of everything that happens in the economy. And maybe they're pushing for this technocratic world where and transhumanist world. And they're teaching, you know, these these rich guys at their orgy parties with Jeffrey Epstein. I mean, I can't prove any of this, but it, there there is plenty of evidence evidence that there's some kind of pedophilia network that's engaging in some kind of satanic ritual abuse. So they're doing something. Um, but I don't think we have to take it to this level of even looking at the at the worst case scenario to kind of understand what evil is. I like to take it back. What's the least amount of evil that we can do? And then extrapolate from there, what makes it evil? And for me, I think it boils down to this idea of control that we were talking about kind of at the beginning, but let's take a little bit of a passive aggressive behavior, you know, a little bit of gaslighting, right? The kind of a, a, a tiny bit of emotional abuse. If you don't set up a boundary against a person in, in your personal life, a friend or a loved one that engages in this kind of passive aggressive behavior, is that evil? Are they committing an evil act? I would argue, yeah, but I would say have compassion to that person because they're passive aggressive as a coping mechanism for the fact that their parents were passive aggressive or that, you know, they have a trauma. It's a trauma response. Um, but I, I think it's almost, it's just as informative at least to, to try to understand what's the, what's, what's the least evil act, you know? Uh, that it would still be defined as evil instead of just jumping straight to the pedophiles, right? <laughs> because we See, know I, those I almost, guys are evil. I, I, I kind of get your point, but I'd almost kind of take it, take it the other direction, you know, in that. So it, it depends on what your belief is about spirituality, and particularly your your own spirituality. Mm -hmm. And to me, I, I constantly am confronted by my stuff. You know, twenty four seven. Oh I yeah. See my yeah. Stuff. <laughs> right. So well, I don't. You're aware of it. that. So I want to draw a line, at least for me. And this is all just you know a, a pencil line. It can be erased and moved, but I would be constantly in this kind of sea of of kind of a quandary if I if I tried to process every little thing that's going on in my head. But I, I, I have to, to a certain extent, because I'm responsible for it. And I'm in particularly, I'm responsible for how I've created this little idea of mm. Alex and what my likes are and what my dislikes are and why, why does it always rain on the weekend? And, you know, why is it so hot? Why is it so cold? Why can't I get this? Why can't I get that? Well, so I could characterize that as evil or I could characterize that as kind of a, yogic, non-dual kind of samadhi, the way that my mind has just kind of 
worked to mm. create and create this ego structure that I have. To me, I can see where we could connect that to this idea of evil. And if somebody wanted to do that, I couldn't right, kind of complain. Right. But, you know, when I first started diving into this, a guy uh, wrote me, is a skeptical listener. And uh, I, I always, I tell the story, but it's so great. Because Dr. Tom Zinza wrote me and he goes, you know, Alex, you really don't know what you're talking about with uh, darkness and evil. There's a distinction there that you don't get. So let me explain it to you. And he went on to do exactly that because mm-hmm. it turns out Tom Zinzer is a clinical psychologist in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He's retired. He actually correctly points out that after he, at some point in his work, 20 years in, he kind of went off reservation with uh, classical clinical psychology because he was working with people who had disassociative identity disorder. And this is, you've done multiple interviews on this and excellent, excellent interviews on this that are completely confirming of what Tom Zinzer found. Number one, he wound up, once he became interested in disassociative identity disorder and basically disassociative disorders in general, which if people aren't aware, is understood inside of psychology as being real. And I also always point this out. If you've heard this before from me, I apologize. But you know, I was just talking to my buddy Bernardo Castrop, and he turned me on to a nice little bit of science. You know, we're talking about science. Mm-hmm. There's been this quote unquote debate. I think it's a false debate. I think it's the scientism kind of debate from a certain group that we've been talking about that denied dissociative identity disorder completely, again, because it's all an illusion, this and that. So they claim that people who were doing this were basically faking. Well, recently, they did this interesting study in Germany with this woman who claimed to have this separate ego state, this alter personality that was blind. And Doug, they put her in an fMRI and they imaged her brain. And they found out that the neurocorrelates when she was in that state, conformed to someone who was blind. Hmm. So we don't have in our model how you would manipulate the neurocorrelates in your brain. So what that proves is that dissociative identity disorder is real, right? This person really is blind, right? Because we know what a blind person, what their brain looks like. We know what a sighted person looks like. This person looks like they're blind, but they're not blind when they come out of that state. Long digression, but important because it circles back to the science thing. But back to Zinzer, he starts working with people that have these disassociation disorders. Turns out a lot of them have sexual abuse in their history. A lot of them have satanic ritual abuse. As you pointed out in your interviews with your experts, some of these people are being abused at very, very young age, preschool, Mm -hmm. which is just inconceivable to us. But then later we found, like Zinzer did and you found in your interviews, that there is, there may be a method behind that. There may be a desire behind that to create these alternate ego states. But what Zinzer found that doesn't contradict what your, your expert found, but adds to it, is that part of the reason for creating these ego states, this disassociation, is they're more likely, more easily penetrated by spirit entities in these extended realms. So wait a minute, now we have a whole other thing. 
pardon me, it's not just that we can use them better as Manchurian candidates, which looks like we can from the mm -hmm. evidence, mm -hmm. but they also are now more vulnerable to spirit possession, for lack of a better word. Sure, spirit. sure. So he goes, Tom goes, okay, Alex, so that's just a truth that I discovered. But the way I discovered that truth was working through this spirit guide. So now it gets really weird and people are like, oh, he's a psychologist working for the spirit guide. Discount everything he's saying. Yeah. Well, not, not, not exactly. This guy was introduced to this spirit guide by a part-time secretary in his office. And he maintained the most rigorous standards continually. He's writing everything down, transcribing thousands of pages of notes, cross-correlating it with his sessions before or after, doing it in a very methodical way in order to test, kind of like what you were alluding to in the Tai Chi testing. He's mm -hmm. using the best scientific psychology methods in order to test whether or not the information he's getting back is number one, true, and whether it's efficacious for his clients. So this is that borderline between science and the metaphysical that's so interesting. And right. his conclusion, by the way, <laughs> is that there is a darkness. There is, it's like, a, back to your, it, it would be akin to what you're saying with the Tao. There's just darkness. That's not evil. It's just darkness. It's this negative force. And it's created by the light to create that shadow, to create that outline, right. that silhouette, that dancing that we have. You know, evil, I'll just finish, I'll wrap it okay, up. Okay, go ahead. Evil is our attraction to the darkness because what it does to the energy inside us. So we have this energy inside us that only comes from one source. It comes from the light, but we don't recognize it as such. We can't deal with it as such. So we found, we find an outlet for it in the darkness and that creates what we understand as evil. So that's a really I'm not, I'm not asking anyone to believe that. I don't know if that's true. I just throw that out there as one possible way of understanding that, that the, the reason I think it's important, Doug, is to me, it draws a distinction between all the stuff that I do during my day with my little, I'm mad at this person, I'm passive aggressive to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> you know, domineering to my right, children, whatever right. the hell I'm doing, which I go, <laughs> which later I go, God, that's just stupid, Alex. Stop doing right. that. You know, and, and I do a little bit better. Maybe I do a little bit worse. All that stuff is just the stuff. This other thing, which I know from my own life, I'm not an evil person, but I get it. I've been there. I've done things that weren't the best me. And sometimes they were connected with this feeling this energy that was of a different nature. So I don't know if that's a real distinction or not, but that's where I'm kind of trying to figure out. Sure, sure. God, so many fascinating concepts in all of that. Um, yeah, I think that, well, I mean, I think a lot of like, let's say these spiritual practices that we're maybe engaging in to try to be better people, assuming that we are following uh, a spiritual practice that is, uh, I, I use this term in a good way. It's something that I borrow from the Lakota that I've heard because um, it's just almost the only, it sounds so simple 
but it really encompasses like, look, if you're trying to live your life in a good way, then you're doing, you know, you're doing the best you can. I think there's actually a lot packed into that simple phrase. Um, they have this phrase actually called it's, you know, you, with your life, you want to work for the people in a good way. And I just, you can just, I don't want to argue with about socialism versus capitalism. I don't want to have a political argument with anybody for the rest of my life. I just want to tell people, look, if we all tried to work together, work for the people in a good way, everything would work out, you know? So, so this is when you're talking about that light that's shining. Now, these, these evil, these slight evil responses or whatever that we're talking about, these passive aggressive or these domineering controlling behaviors with your children and whatnot, you know, I, I would say like, these are trauma responses and, and maybe even <laughs> I might even, and only after like this concept that you're talking about these malevolent spirit beings in another dimension or whatever, that these Satanists are, are linking into. I am after having the interviews that I've had and spoken with the people that I've spoken to, you got to start going like there might be something to this. And then when um you talk to spirit guides from other cultures or whatever like you're you know that's just part of my, my issue i think with the scientists that maybe take your psychologist that's looking to a spirit guide for some advice or knowledge or understanding about how this works and then the rest of the scientific community of course is going to go well that's just silly you know why would you listen to this guy my response is this guy this spirit guide from this indigenous culture is a member of a lineage that's thousands of years old that has studied this aspect of our existence through a scientific process and understands how this stuff works. I mean, is it so inconceivable? And maybe we can even go like, I think, okay, you know, let's, (laughs) let's take this to the next level here because I wonder if scientism and, and the belief system that most of us in the West are raised in, Let's imagine for a second that there is this group of Satanists that are at the top, that they're, that we're undergoing trauma. They're imposing trauma on us. We're engaging in these massive wars all the time. We've got these pedophile rings and the, these slavery rings. You know, we're dealing with the, the drug war and people in, throwing people in prison. I mean, there's no question, but this is a violent culture from the top down. And these people at the top, maybe they're feeding this negative energy. They're feeding these beings that they're getting this power or this information from through their satanic rituals by engaging in this kind of war or these eugenics programs or these mass murder campaigns, that this is like a sacrifice to the to these gods, these evil spirits. So that the and then the evil spirits, when they get the sacrifice, are willing to give these people this information. Uh, that allows them to continue this cycle of violence and, and accrue more and more power through their system. Like they. So, and- Doug, what if that's true? And what if that's a pebble on the beach? Well, I- what if what if the light? What if the real action is in the light? You go back to the near death experience sure. science, and you ask some of the fundamental questions like: Is there a moral imperative? Is there a hierarchy to consciousness? Universally, yes, there's a hierarchy to consciousness. Just so people know, that means God, right? There's a hierarchy, there's something on top. Mm-hmm. So, and overwhelming. Talk to uh, Jurgen Ziva, you know, one of the great out of body travelers of our time, recorded 
in unbelievable detail his experiences. Pebble on the freaking sand. If anyone chooses with their soul right. to to give up everything for they, they want to trade diamonds for coal, you can do it. You can be a, a, a Satanist. You can pursue all these little things that that this life brings, and and you can get all worked up about that. But all indications are, again, I'm going to sound preachy, so let me back off and just say, this is what a lot of people say consistently across a lot of different, not just traditions, but a lot of different experience bases, like I say, near-death experience, out-of-body experience. They say there is absolutely no comparison between that darkness and the light. It's like, you know, going out there as an adult and playing football with toddlers you know you can let them play and think that they're having a game but at any point you can go in there and just hold the ball up here and say (laughs) sorry game over look i i absolutely i mean i'll even take it yeah it's fun i mean gosh thinking about so many different things but um i think that the light is more powerful than the darkness in this way i I mean, I would argue that the soft style, like Tai Chi style martial arts are, are more powerful than, than any boxer or any hard style, you know, just to, just to kind of use that same sort of physical metaphor, that self-defense meta- metaphor. But my point was, if, if we are willing to accept the possibility that there is this extended realm with these negative spirits that certain very wealthy people have connected with, then they don't want the rest of us to know about the light because if we did, then we'd have access to exactly what you're talking about. We we can start communicating. But but Doug, Doug, that's not really the problem, right? Because I know about the light. Sure. You know about the light. My problem is, my problem is put it in yoga terms. Like my very first yoga teacher, brilliant advice. Don't anticipate the pose. Right. Don't be thinking about the next pose when you're in this pose. Only think about this pose. Be here now. That's my problem. Mm-hmm. I experience that on a minute by minute basis. The light is there. I'm just ch- constantly choosing a little bit to not connect with it. So to what extent, because I'm not Annika Lucas, I didn't experience what she experienced. So I only know a limited amount, but I know in my life, there are no limitations for me growing spiritually other than my own. Right. The spiritual yep. path is easy for one with no preferences. It's my choosing to not give in to this truth, which I understand. I want to take it easy on myself. I get it. Right. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you hundred percent. And um, it's just, it, I, I think I, I just wanted to kind of drive this point in because so many people, I mean, let's just talk the scientism. If scientism is this mythology, that it is it conceivable that scientism, which doesn't allow for extended consciousness, where people think that, you know, the materialism is all there is, there's none of these spirits in any other realms, no matter what all these spirit guides or shamans from other cultures or, uh, you know, have ever said, that's just all superstitious nonsense. I would posit that scientism may be something that is that is intentionally taught to the to the sort of masses um by these people who are communicating with the evil who know the truth and and use it for this 
evil power for to create this cult, you know, right? To be powerful. They don't want people to know. So that, and I mean, I, you know, just my own personal process, it took me years to even contemplate that this might be a possibility, right? It sounds crazy. Just me talking to you right now. I'm like, do I really do? Am I believing this now? You know, like after all the people that I've talked to, it's taken a long time for me to even be open-minded enough to, to accept this because I was raised with that scientism model. You know, that was just my truth when I was 20, you know, before I started to learn about how different cultures think and, and then kind of dive into some of this more conspiratorial stuff, which makes me go like, well, all the other cultures think like this. And these guys at the top of my culture seem to be acting like this. So why is it, you know, it's just, it's just a further the argument that this is a kind of, this is a slave philosophy that has been taught to a slave class, to a plebeian class by a powerful elite. Now, having said that, Alex, no matter how bad this technocratic society gets or how hard the control grid comes down or the surveillance state and all these things that they're talking about that this controlling elite once seems to want to impose on us, I can still say I don't have to be even involved or engaged. And I think the more people do connect individually with the light that we're talking about here, the more they can say, like, I've got a big garden in my backyard. You know, I got some solar panels on my water pump. I'm good to go. I don't need the corp. I don't need to buy anything from the corporate system. You know, I don't need to send do, my kids okay off to too. war. If you buy something from Amazon, it's not. Yeah, the, right. It's, it's not, not the, the end of the world. world. <laughs> I wouldn't call you evil for buying something from Amazon. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I just, I just got to pause here because I, I think the, this point that you're making is, is, I think it's brilliant, but I think it's quite original and unique. Like I said, when I got the email from you either yesterday or today, I was like, wow. He's just connected the dot because, so look, you're right to make, to even get someone to the point, <laughs> right. like it took me to get I'm, me to the point. Sounds crazy, man. I don't want to point out like someone, like someone so, so stupid. No, me starting podcasting in 2007. <laughs> it took me five years to even begin to contemplate like, huh? Yeah. Could this be somewhat conspiratorial? Right, the right. fact that these people are denying the obvious, this biological robot in a meaningless universe, consciousness doesn't exist. Could that be something akin to a conspiracy? Literally, Doug, five years it took me to even, yeah. da -da! but takes... what you're going to, which is like, we're going to level three and this is where the, the, Joe Atwell part comes in because mm -hmm. people, I don't think, understand the Joe Atwell part because it, it's about PSYOP in this really complex way. And it really isn't even related to that. So I'm sorry if I went there and I'm going to throw people off because the connection you made is to say, ah, conspiracy and now the connection to evil. And the connection to evil that I thought was really, really next level is that I'm talking to Tom Zinzer and he goes, look, let's keep it kind of on the extreme of what we can definitely call evil. Mm -hmm. And that is inhibiting somebody's soul growth, inhibiting somebody's progress, infringing on their free will to make decisions about where they should go in their spiritual progression. Sure. And that's the connection you made. You said, what if scientism isn't just about 
oh, you know, keep the keep the idiots, keep the Antifa morons, you know, keep them battling with the uh, right. KKK yeah. guys and all that yeah. as just a means of control. What if it's next level beyond that to say, let's try and inhibit these, their sense of worth in terms of progressing from a consciousness standpoint, that's, that's next level. And I, I think you're totally right. Totally right. It's pretty outrageous. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like if you put the puzzle pieces together, it's like, huh, you know, and it's taken me a long time to get here too, because the ideas seem so crazy when you've been raised in the materialistic culture, but coming to the realization that every other culture in the history of the world has known this stuff, you know, you're not crazy. It's the people around us that don't know it, that are, you know, actually missing the boat, everybody else. And, and they all think, that all these shamans and all these other, you know, Taoism and Hinduism, they're just superstitions. No, they're not superstitions. This is evidence-based. You know, they've experienced these things. They've, they've gathered empirical evidence that says that this is how the world works. We've just been blinded to it because it's self-empowering. And if people want to take our personal power away from us and use us as slaves, the last thing they're going to want us to do is to have this information that we can connect to this extended consciousness ourselves and use the same tools that they've got, you know, except to use them to liberate ourselves, to free ourselves from this kind of slave matrix. It's, it's wild, but I did, I want to tie this one thing into to what Joe Atwell was saying, because if we can imagine that Joe is right and that the Romans, so I tend to think I, I've learned to think that most knowledge, I know that knowledge is gained in Western culture, typically you're going to school and then you're getting a degree. And then if you go to college and you get another degree and then you can get a master's degree and you get a PhD and there's this kind of hierarchical understanding of learning through this academic setting. And that's the way most people think that knowledge is accrued. But in all the rest of the history of the world, the knowledge is accrued through lineage right? You've got a shaman that teaches a, the younger shaman and that shaman teaches the next generation or in Taoism, you've got a teacher that teaches or in yoga, you know, you know, if you're walking one of these paths, there's, there's lineages that happen. So I think it's totally conceivable that this sort of, if you want to call it the evil power lineage, that seems, to, I would trace it back to Zoroastrianism. It seems to have started about 5,000 years ago or so where this dualistic philosophy people started moving into the cities they started to kind of define good and evil in this way and then there was a hierarchy within the city where you know people there's a group of people on the top and then there's the sort of plebeian class at the bottom um and and then you go into the roman empire and you can conceive that the roman empire in joe atwell's thesis essentially fabricated christianity as by kind of borrowing from different religions from all over the empire and creating this one mythology that taught everybody to turn the other cheek, you know, also kind of disempowering. Don't fight the Romans. You know, Joe always says, render under, unto Caesar what is Caesar's and, uh, and turn the other cheek and all this stuff so people don't raise up and fight against the empire. Well, if then the empire never stopped, Right. And then it turned into the Roman Catholic Church and it turned into the European feudal system. And now it's turned into whatever you want to call it. If you want to call it the Illuminati or, you know, these wealthy old wealth money families that are at the top of the hierarchy now that potentially engage 
maybe they've learned this same kind of lineage, only it's a dark lineage, and they're pulling the same psyop as Joe says. You know, these patriarchal religions were just a psyop with scientism right now, and they're perpetuating this sort of scientism notion to do the same thing. And it's not even—it's just the same. It's just a play out of their old playbook. It's not even a different, like, new wild idea. It's just the way they've always managed the slaves, right? Well, maybe. I I see it slightly differently. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I just did an interview with Atwell, too. So, again, so we're jumping right into Inside Baseball, which is fine. But Joe Atwell is a a biblical scholar, although some people question that. I don't know how you can. If you listen to the guy, he's just brilliant. He's written all these books. He speaks all of languages, has studied all the stuff. He wrote a very influential book years ago called Caesar's Messiah, which posits, you know, kind of what you're what you're saying there, that this looks more like a political psyop, this Bible thing by the Romans, than it does anything else. But the reason I kind of, in my latest interview with Joe, I kind of brought up the same point that you're on and thought, uh, Joe, I so, he's just a very brilliant thinker. Mm -hmm. And I like his response to that. He goes, you know, well, really, there's only so many tricks that you can use. He goes, so, and, and this is just, it doesn't, I don't know if you're right, but a counterpoint to that would be, there doesn't have to be this uh, continuous lineage. I'm open to the sure. fact, especially when we get to these extended realms, I'm very open to what you're saying, that there is, that there may be some kind of dark force out there that keeps interjecting the same theme in. But Joe's point is, even if you look at it from a more secular perspective, there's only so many tricks you have. It's going to gravitate back towards... Exactly. You're going to come back to this is how to Mm -hmm. control the kind of masses. But here, and maybe we'll have this at some other point, or or we'll turn this into some project that you and I ought to do, because we're both interested in this. I'd love to see this information out there. Yeah. Here's the thing on the Atwell thing that I always bring people's attention to is one, what I started with. Your experience with God is, I, I cherish that for you because I cherish that for me. And if your experience with God includes a relationship with Christ, Jesus Christ, this historical figure, I have nothing but, I pranam to you. Good for you. Mm-hmm. That's your mm-hmm. path. I don't denigrate that in any way. So this is just two guys, Doug and Alex, talking about freaking history, right? So don't let it freaking trigger your Christian upbringing or your cherished religious beliefs or any of the rest yeah. of that crap. Yeah, It's just two guys talking about history. But here's the history. Go Google Titus's Ark of Triumph over Judea. There is a big old rock statue, an ark. You know how they built him? And it shows these Romans conquering Judea in 66 and bringing all the crap home, bringing the solid gold, Madeira, and the big, you know, all that stuff. This is what Romans do, boy, right? Yeah. They go in there and they kick ass, take names, get the loot. And what they do over and over again is they co-opt the existing religion. They say, hey, yep. you know what? It turns out. Your God's just a lot like my God. We're alike, you know, come on, we can get along. And, you know, those other, that other tribe that you've been fighting with over there, they are, they are really bad. You know, I'll I'll create a little border here and I'll keep the peace. Don't worry. Just, you know, pay your taxes and 
know that you can have all the statues in your temple you want, but well, you do have to include mine in there too. No big deal. You know, we could all live, coexist. So this is the Roman freaking playbook, right? Yeah. So Joe's point is that if you're objective and you look at it and what people don't get, I think is just fascinating is because, you know, Doug, when I dig into these things, I enjoy going all the way. I've interviewed on my show. I can't tell you how many biblical scholars that disagree with that. Well, sure. And I wrestle them to the ground. Yeah. So uh, uh, whether it's uh, Bob Price or uh, who's that other guy's name ever, a carrier, you know, with an email exchange with him or, or many other ones that I've had on the show, right? Invariably, they put up this big front like, no, that can't possibly be true. But then when you really wrestle them to the ground on, is the Bible pro-Roman? And they have to acknowledge, yes, well, the Bible is pro-Roman. Now, think about that. Two guys talking history again. This is the, the kind of most troublemaker group in the Roman Empire. They can't get these people under control. They can't get them to put up the statue yeah. in the synagogue. Won't have it. Now, the reason they won't have it as it relates to our story is because they're in a freaking cult. They're in this Jewish <laughs> cult, and they are so deeply ingrained in it that the, the, the Romans who are more kind of, hey, live and what live, you know, sure, I go to church, but, you know, it's yeah, not right. really, you know, it's, <laughs> right. there's, we get a little wiggle room. No, these culted up Jews are like, no, man, no way. Yeah, so the they're Romans not giving up. are fighting these guys for years and years and years, and they push him back. And then as soon as the Romans turn their back, take it over. this is a major, major problem. So they go in and they conquer finally. And the guy builds the trunk, the, the, the ark to show you all the stuff that he did. And he has his historian, Josephus, and he writes down, this is what we did. This is whose ass we kicked on this day and that day. Mm -hmm. And that is the beginning of the story. The second chapter in the story, as anyone can hear in the interview you did with Atwell, is that this Josephus character is so well established in this story that they used to include Josephus with the Bible. They'd say, here's the canon, here's the gospel, and here's Josephus. Because this Roman historian, his account of what happened matches Jesus's prophecy. So that's proof. You can't get more than that. Now, the reason they stopped doing that is at some point, people got a little bit smarter and go, wait a minute. Yeah. His prophecy matches this history? Well, when was, which, which came first? Well, Josephus actually did come first and the gospel writers did have access to Josephus. They had the book, but it's still real prophecy. People like, well, I don't know. <laughs> you just kind of lost me there. Right. Jesus is prophesizing about things. And the people who wrote down these prophecies had the book, the history book. How do I know they didn't copy out of that? So that is my interpretation of what Atwell is saying. It doesn't right. go quite as far as where Joe is going. But the reason that's important is because here's the other points I've made that we will we need to have a, a whole discussion on this. That's why if the Bible is pro-Roman and Josephus 
There is no arguing. Josephus is a tool of the Romans. He is writing on behalf of the Romans. He's living in a big townhouse in mm -hmm. Rome with a Roman wife. And mm -hmm. if you even believe that he's a real character, which he probably isn't, he's probably just a fictionalized character compiled by a bunch of Roman historians. But he's so, still so much propaganda. Writing, yeah, he's just writing the Roman version of history. Mm -hmm. So the fact that that shows up in the Bible, it is case closed for the Bible. The Bible can be many things. It can be a portal for spiritual transmission of wonderful, saintly, beautiful, divine knowledge, but it is also, has to be, a political psyop. It just does, because that's the source it came from. It came from the Romans, and it's clear what they were trying to do. They were trying to control with, like we said, those techniques, but here's yeah. the kicker. Here's the kicker. It is a failed political psyop. And see, I, I don't see anyone talking about this. Even Joe doesn't talk about this. No, he did. Actually, he mentioned it just really briefly in the last interview I did with him. But here's what really wraps your, makes your, kick your head. They did this and probably why it failed but then ultimately succeeded, like a lot of psyops do, right? This is kind of the story. We don't understand psyops. Everyone thinks that these big, you know, social engineers are just doing everything and it works perfectly. No, a lot of times it fails and they go, oh, what do we do now? Well, sure, sure. It's a turn big lemonade out of those lemons. Mm -hmm. So the mm -hmm. reason it failed is because the cult, the Jewish cult, was so freaking strong that they couldn't just redirect it with this guy who came along and said, because that's what Josephus writes. He writes, hey, the real Messiah is Caesar. Hail Caesar. I'm a Jew, but I've learned. I had this uh, revelatory experience that says it's really Caesar, Caesar, Caesar. So people took part of it, but they didn't take the main point that you should just bow down and give everything to Caesar because they were the cult. So what do they turn it into eventually? Actually, exactly what you said, which is to say, wait a minute, if these people want to hold on to their cult so bad, let's just use that. We'll just take over and we'll take over the Christian religion as they did, you know, mm -hmm. Constantine, a couple mm -hmm. hundred years later, right. say, don't fight it. Don't try and turn it into that. Leave it go the way it's going and we'll just kind of co-opt it and bring it back in. So if, uh, again, I can't say like this is, that's the discussion I'd like to have. I invite religious scholars, biblical scholars all the time. If there's anyone listening who knows someone, wants to come on, they will have fair time <clears throat> on Skeptico. If we have to bring Atwell in, we'll bring Atwell in, all this. But that to me is the story of what happened. It's a failed political psyop that then gets rebooted a hundred, two hundred years they, later they as, oh, we'll just use it as a control mechanism. But if that is true, if that is real, that has to be factored into this whole thing. We, 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 we can't just placate the Christians with, oh, I respect your belief system. Mm -hmm. Your cult is wonderful. It's like, like I said at the beginning, you have a relationship with Jesus. That's awesome. Good for you. Fantastic. I highly respect that. But don't ask me to. Come talk to me about history. Come talk to me about history. Show me where I'm wrong. Show me how this history is something different. Show me how you haven't been 
kind of tricked into a kind of cultish control mechanism because that's how it looks to me. Here's a here's an interesting point just to add to that because you know with our conversation about the light and the darkness uh if you go to the older Jewish texts and you start talking about the tree of life and all of this you start to see a very similar alchemical system to the Hindu chakra system or to the Taoist system like within Judaism there is actually the same information it's just that you have to go you know, to, to different sources, like the light is there. I've heard, this is kind of a, a, you know, I can't source this or anything, but I just doing some research on the internet, the story of Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm sorry, the story of Santa Claus, I'm <laughs> getting a little conflated there. The story of Santa Claus coming down the chimney and all of that, that then got incorporated into the, into the 20, you know, September 25th story uh, or December 25th story. Yeah, we're getting late in the conversation. So, but um, is it kind of correlates to Santa Claus means like the way the energy flows up and down the spine through essentially the chakra system as well. Like these were all from previous alchemical notions, like Santa Claus or the Tree of Life or whatever, that then correlate to the chakra system or the Taoist system, the traditional Chinese system where this knowledge is actually all in there somewhere, if you really look for it. Um, so then even within these, you know, these patriarchal religious traditions, there is this same, there are lineages that are following the light, you know, then there are the lineages that did get probably, as we're discussing, potentially co-opted and used as a control mechanism. But it just depends on who you are as an individual and how, you know, where you're going to look. Are you going to look for the light or are you going to participate in the cult? up to you right <laughs> so i like the way you put it yeah i get we've been at it for over two hours we probably i guarantee you we could go on forever but i think maybe we're at a place where we could kind of wrap it up um yeah yeah i have some more some other interesting places that we could go but um maybe we'll again sometime yeah let's just let's just plan on that We'll just give it some time and, and interview a few more people and then meet back together. And let's, yeah, feel free to write me or we can keep in touch on the, on the email side of things too, and just see what comes up because uh, yeah, these, you know, these conversations, there's just not, it's actually kind of interesting at this point, I've done enough of these kind of interviews that there aren't very many people to talk to about these, where you're getting, you know, really into where is this philosophy going overall? I mean, we, if you talk to enough different people, you start to get a kind of a big picture. And so you and I are, you know, able to have big picture conversations. We're not just focused on one little aspect here or there. So that was, that was really fun. For me too, Doug. It was awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Do you want to point people uh, to the website or to the podcast just so they, they can go no, find it? No, they can more? find it right there. I got it in the background. Skip yeah, the there you go. Come look at it. <laughs> Good to go. Great. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Alex. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Doug. We'll stay in touch and talk soon. Sounds like a plan. All right. Take care. Okay, buddy. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. What an incredible conversation. It's, uh, I think that was the first episode I've ever done with another podcaster. And I think after you've done enough of these kinds of shows, you really start to develop a world view, you know, a, a belief system about how the world's really working that uh, is 
pretty different from maybe what the average person really, really thinks. And that was why uh, this conversation was so fun for me, because Alex and I were able to take this kind of collective knowledge that we've developed over, you know, dozens and dozens of interviews, in Alex's cases, hundreds of interviews at this point, uh, and really start to put together, you know, what if this alternative way of thinking Maybe you call it conspiracy theory. I think we might have gotten a little ancient aliens in there, you know, <laughs> a little Joe Atwell um, for sure. Uh, and you start thinking that um, maybe the world is really working in this in this uh, completely different way than the way most of us were taught growing up or, the you know, the way people that are certainly within the system, educated within the system. Uh, I do think that people who are raised in indigenous cultures uh, still think a lot like uh, what uh, Alex and I were talking about. I mean, we touched on that a little bit, that there actually are uh, quite a few cultures. In fact, every other culture except for this, what might be described as a colonized culture, this Roman uh, culture that has grown and spread almost across the entire earth at this point. Um, but there's a lot of people that were never really completely colonized, and they do believe in the star people, you know, and they do believe in multiple dimensions and that spirits live in, in multiple dimensions. And these people have believed this for thousands and thousands of years. And when you interview enough people who have that belief system, you start to wonder and question yourself. I mean, Alex, uh, just by really confronting science with science, starts to discover that uh, this concept of scientism is really not all it's cracked up to be. These, these foundational beliefs that many, many people believe are a part of, of the scientific literature uh, actually don't hold water when tested with actual scientific methodologies. So um, it's really fascinating. And I, I find this a lot. This week we're having this big hydroxychloroquine uh, debate about the hydroxychloroquine and zinc protocol that seems to be helping a lot of people uh, if they get sick with COVID. Some doctors have come out and tried to spread the word about this and the system's coming down really hard. Um, we've seen the government spending uh uh, I think it was $1.6 billion uh, with a contract with Gilead Sciences for Remdesivir, the antiviral that they want to say that their science is saying really helps uh, with the COVID. Uh, although uh, I haven't seen that science. The science is pretty sketchy on the Remdesivir way more than the uh, hydroxychloroquine from what I've seen. Um, but I mean, this is just the point, and the point that we were really getting into with this episode is that so many people want to say, hey, science says this, so this is what I believe and this is what's true. And the fact of the matter is that many different scientists have many different beliefs. Um, the data can be interpreted in a variety of different ways. Uh, I think it's really important what Alex said about science. Science is really a process, and a process that good scientists have to approach from, from this perspective of absolute doubt and complete open-mindedness. Uh, if you come with some kind of confirmation bias, you're likely to interpret the data to make it look like exactly what you were wanting to find. And I think also uh, something that we touched on a little bit, but could have, been, could have been talked about a little bit more, is the corruption within the whole system. These governments, these corporations that are spending billions and billions of dollars uh, to push products, to create and then push products that are going to make them billions and billions of dollars. I mean, this kind of money just corrupts the entire system. And uh, when there's a billion dollars on the line and somebody's been working on this for, for five or ten years 
and all of their research is done at the at the corporate lab. Uh, even if they did come up with a discovery that said, "Hey, wait a minute, we've been on the wrong t- track here," uh, you think the the uh, corporate headquarters is going to let you back down? <laughs> so I've just heard so many stories with the interviews with the doctors that I've been doing lately. Um, about what happens to them when they come up with a cheap or viable treatment that doesn't fit with uh, with big pharma's uh, overall vision of profitability uh, and their bottom line, and it's not pretty. So unfortunately, and these are the guys that are using this concept of science and saying their technology is the best, and and they've got the resources, and that's why their science is telling them this is what everybody needs to do. But in fact, we should all be free to choose what we want to do. These interviews I've been doing with doctors lately, um, just really hitting home for me the importance of the doctor-patient relationship and the fact that we should all be able to make healthcare choices based on informed consent. I'm getting to a place where I don't even, this whole hydroxychloroquine debate, I just want to tell people, why do you care what I choose to do? That's between me and my doctor. And that's, why are we having a national debate? Why has it become so political? And it turns out, of course, these big corporations are trying to make uh, the competition illegal. They want to make the competition illegal, so everyone has to do what they want them to do, which, of course, is going to make them billions of dollars. So I really wanted to have this episode, the scientism thing, um, with the interviews I've been doing about Agenda 21 and technocracy lately, too, it it all comes together with this and with the COVID-19 thing that's happening right now. Uh, I thought was this was a really great time to have this conversation. So I hope that you enjoyed this as much as I did. Uh, I also hope that you took the time to go ahead and listen to those Joe Atwell interviews that Alex and I have done on our perspective shows. Uh, his information is really important, and it kind of blends in the whole thing about scientism then with the bigger picture of patriarchal religion and how it can be used as a control mechanism. So we have to ask ourselves, you know, is scientism really just something that we have learned, this materialistic philosophy that disempowers us and makes it easier for uh, those elite, uh, those members of the elite class that are above us in this in this great pyramid scheme that we're all participating in called life, apparently, or called the empire, anyway. <laughs> um, does this mean that we are, you know, being caught up in a philosophy that is disempowering for us and empowering for the people at the top of the pyramid who are in control? of the quote-unquote science and then the quote-unquote mythology that they're teaching us. So, you know, I think there's a lot to think about here in this episode. Uh, I think that um, having an understanding of how your consciousness works, maybe asking some questions about uh, the science of other cultures, uh, the science that includes meditation, that includes the acupuncture system, um, that includes the fact that your consciousness does have something to do with your health and your uh, ability to observe this reality. Um, and you might be able to be, if you, if you approach it open-minded enough, uh, you might find some gems there uh, that can really help you live a f- more full and healthy life and feel more empowered to deal with your everyday choices instead of just feeling like uh, a cog in the wheel of this imperial machine. So... I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed having that conversation with Alex. We really did dive deep. I hope it gave you something to think about. 
and uh, we'll be looking forward to seeing you next week. Uh, just remember, you can check out Alex Karras' show Skeptico at Skeptico.com. And if you want to find more information about The Shift, you can check out The Shift with Doug McKenty. I'm on Facebook and YouTube at McKenty on Twitter. And my website is www.theshiftnow.com. All right, everybody. Have a great rest of your day. Hopefully, we'll see you back here next week. And uh, you guys take care out there.